So, do you like podcasts? Do you like movie podcasts? Yes! 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 If so, check out All Things Film, a collection of the best film, TV and movie podcasts on the internet. Groovy. Film Rave. It was only a pound. The podcast on Fire Network. Daily Grindhouse. And of course... Film exploitation. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. What? Anyway, all the best podcasts, film and TV related, under one roof. That's all things film. Boys and girls, go back to your studies. Believe me, nothing in life is free. Well, oak and dread, Batman. All things film is 100% free. And you can find out more on iTunes. Search all things film or online. All things film. Dot thefilmpodcast.co.uk Oh, sorry, I think I must have pressed the wrong button. Is anyone left? Toto? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hey everybody, Kenny B here invading your ears before the next Podcast on Fire Network podcast. But I want to talk to you about charity first, but not to us. Well... Kind of, but it won't cost you a thing. In an effort to, in all honesty, raise the network's profile a little, as well as echoing our giving sites, I was thinking we could do a trial run run of a project that would mix your love for a show or even several on the network and giving. But here's the thing. Your giving only costs you a few minutes, maybe a minute of your time, or a click of a button, which means a second of your time. That's the giving we want from you. Leave the actual giving to us. Here's how it breaks down this first trial run of this concept, if you will. Leave a written review on our main iTunes feed where all the shows pop up. And this is uh, linked to in every show description from the time you hear this message. And email that review to podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Do a screen cap of it or mail the review itself. As I have an iTunes Sweden account, and if you post on the UK or US side, I can't see it. So I would appreciate if you emailed us that. And if you're the fifth person to leave a review since the start of this project, which was on October 1st, we will donate 20 British pounds or euros to a charity of your choice. The other way is to leave us a like over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And if you're the 10th person to do so, starting from the project initiation on October 1st, I'll try and get in touch with you and we'll donate 20 British pounds or euros to a charity of your choice. And if this goes well, then it's every 10th person in that uh, in that barrage of likes that will uh, hopefully come come at us if you will so let's combine our love for creating podcasts your love for listening and for free you will be triggering something directed towards a good cause so thank you and on with the show
Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 11 on The Barefooted Youth and Fai Lan. And I don't have a much of a sophisticated intro other than I'm Kennedy, and this is What's Korean Cinema, the Ken edition, which is kind of nowadays, anyways, uh, about going back in time to give some, well, not literally going back in time, but we're looking at older movies, like 40, 50 years ago uh, made movies, giving them a voice, uh, like a bigger voice, uh, because they might be talked of movies extensively already. Uh, And we do so tonight as well. Uh, I mean, we're also looking at current movies, but current movies might be 10, 15 years ago, and that uh, is considered old. So let's just say we're looking at two old movies tonight. And the first is 1964's Barefooted Youth and 2001's Phylon. And with me is Paul Quinn von Hangul. Say hi, buddy. Hello there, everybody. No Rufus Duram this episode. He's uh, busy attending life, and why should we be mean and cynical and make fun of him because of that? Because I won't. Uh, so, uh, but he'll be hopefully joining us for a future episode and all of that. And me and Paul are gonna rock this episode quite hard. Uh, anyway, because uh, I, um, you know, on a slight personal note, among you know, I produce a fair amount of shows, and I always enjoy kind of putting together the what's Korean cinema shows because they're so. I know, I go into them with more of a blank slate than most of the other shows I do where I already have the movies kind of in my head and a lot more knowledge about them and what's Korean cinema offers me like uh, the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and uncover stuff that I didn't know of and that I also find uh, interesting, you know, um, and, and to have you as support as, in my eyes, I know you're a self-loathing bastard, Paul, but in my eyes, you're a Korean cinema expert, you're, you're, you know, you're a guru in my eyes, so it's always good to have you. See, you, you, you can't, you can't use that word, you, know? you, you just, can I just bastard just, that? I like, <laughs> Korean cinema I like the, there you go, that'll do, uh, <laughs> I like Korean cinema, I talk a lot about Korean cinema, whether anybody agrees with me, well, you've got to agree with me, because I'm right, but expert, um, <laughs> Okay, know, well, I love I, these as well because it, it gives us a chance to just talk about films that you know a load of people haven't seen and they really should see. It's a good, it's a better time than uh, usual, obviously, with the Kofi YouTube channel being open for uh, the better part of a year now. This uh, like focus on the podcast series is uh, it's good timing in a way because obviously so many movies are readily available, you know. Two free clicks away, even one click away. If you're that savvy, if you have YouTube's Kofa channel really close to you, uh, and a, a year or two ago, uh, a podcast on Barefooted Youth would have been valid, but uh, maybe not as uh, effective. Because uh, okay, we gotta look yeah. up this movie now. Where is it? Well, t- well yeah, it's, it's that whole thing of we're gonna look at this movie, but we don't actually know where you're gonna get hold of it, etc., etc., etc. I mean, I went on. I was saying to you earlier, uh, I went on last night and just had a quick rewatch of Barefooted Youth. 16,000 people have watched it on the Coffee Channel. Right. And you on. think, that's just, that's the way it should be. So. Yeah, yeah and kudos for them for not, um, as far as I know anyway, uh, spamming the channel with uh, tons of advertisements and what have you. It's really a free endeavor and it's there to free showcase the movies and. Um, Create interest. Uh, it, I mean, I'm sure they're not bleeding money, but that's not a you know super profitable venture either. Uh, so it's really admirable the way they're setting it up. It really is. I mean, the only thing you've got is that sort of the little ad at the very beginning, and you've got to watch five seconds. Yeah, 
<laughs> I don't accept five seconds of commercial. <laughs> and, like, and that's, and it's just, ah, um, you know, but aside from that, you know, you can't knock that. It's really, it's, it's spam free. It's great. I love it. Right on. And uh, that's the first movie we're covering tonight. But first of all, some brief contact information. This is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. Uh, reach this show and all the other shows and bonus episodes on podcastonfire.com. Email us if you have any feedback. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You can also leave us some feedback on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash POF Network is our main page. There you can leave a like on if you like us and also chat with us on there. But the discussion group is the more big adventure in terms of uh, interaction and updates and what have you. Reach that by following li- following the link on the page I just said or typing in Podcast on Fire Network on uh, in the Facebook search bar. And that will get you the group and follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire Follow my writing at SoGoodReviews.com and my video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com. I obviously review Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies, but uh, Korea trickles in every now and again, uh, mainly uh, due to some Korean uh, made in terms of locations and literally Korean-produced martial arts movies that were then uh, purchased by uh, the likes of IFD and had a Godfrey Ho directing credit slapped on them. Hence the confusion that Godfrey Ho directed so many Korean movies when he in reality did not. Uh, but uh, so, so that's how Korea trickles in. But it's a really cool, if we're going to be honest, I'm, uh, I've, enc- I've encountered a fair amount of these uh, martial arts movies by director Kim Si Hyun. And that director really made some solid genre fare, to be honest. Uh, and I'm glad, therefore, that they got exposed uh, in a way. Because, okay, they're out there. Godfrey Ho's name is on the movies. But uh, if you do a little bit of research, you can see that uh, there's a, there's a, another director who made the likes of uh, uh, Secret Ninja Roaring Tiger, which is IFD's retitled. <laughs> it's a, a really good um, Wang Jiang Li... Um, uh, who is in that Elton Chong movie? Really solid martial arts movie. So, um, you know, Korean made uh, martial arts movies. They were definitely up to uh, uh, up to the quality of uh, independent movies uh, made in Taiwan and Hong Kong. Uh, so that you can find on uh, my site, and I do tweets at uh, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews and subscribe to What's Korean Cinema on iTunes. And uh, please leave a star rating, that only takes a click of a button. And if you have the time, please leave a uh, small review, a sentence or two if you like the show. And even if you dislike us, leave a constructive re- 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 review and don't be an ass about it. Let's uh, be uh, positive and constructive, even if be negative. I know it's a lot to ask. It is the internet after all, but uh, just try and behave. And uh, if you don't like to download podcasts to your device, uh, hit up Stitcher Radio, listen to us online, but also download the application to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. And once you're in Stitcher, type in What's Korean Cinema in the search window to add What's Korean Cinema to your favorite lists. And uh, again, uh, Hangul Cellular in short, what is that about, Paul? Essentially, I'm obsessed with Korean cinema, start, finish, and through the middle. Um, I'm on, I'm, I run a site, which you can find at hanglecelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hanglecelluloid. I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash hanglecelluloid. And I spend my entire days, mornings, evenings, waxing on about Korean cinema, writing about Korean cinema, doing the odd podcast on Korean cinema. I love it. I hope you all love it too. Have a look at the website, see what you feel. 
Right on. And you're out, you're out and about. You know, you're not like me who sits here chained to my chair daily. I mean, you're out and about attending screenings. And, and as we'll talk about later in the show, attending uh, interview group interviews and meeting Korean celebs. Uh, and uh, not really celebs, Korean movie stars, for heaven's sake. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's an exciting life, it seems like, even if um, it's uh, tiring uh, at, uh, at the worst of times. It's weird. It, it's it's exciting. It's only when, you know, you sit here preparing for something like this, you sit and think, you know, I do some weird stuff. And it only occurs at that point because day to day you just think, right, I've got an interview today. I've got to go there today. I've got to go. You know, it's the same thing for us all. It's all great. We love it. All right, on. Uh, more of that uh, later in the show. Who Paul met this time around, you'll find out in the <laughs> second half of the show. Uh, but rundown of what we're doing tonight, first of all. Uh, each uh, segment, I'll, I'll explain at this point, but they will be in the show description with running times. Uh, so if you want to hear like the review straight away, you can jump ahead to the designated running time. But I hope you stick around uh, in the entire show, because uh, we will first discuss the Barefooted Youth. Uh, we will rehash some uh, talks on director Kim Ki-duk, which is obviously uh, uh, another director of the same name, not the Kim Ki-duk of uh, the Island Free Iron fame, and his impact in Korean cinema history. And then we'll do a back and forth discussion slash review of the film Barefooted Youth. There will be a slight musical break after that. After we come back, uh, there will be background on Thailand's director Song Hei Sung, actor Choi Min Sik. Uh, actress Cecilia Jung, and then finally our discussion of the film, all spoiler-free actually, because sometimes, you know, we gotta we gotta explain and talk of the endings a little bit, but I felt for these movies, uh, nah, there's no need really to spoil them, um, even uh, if we do it after the show ends, so I think uh, we'll, um, we'll keep it spoiler-free this time around, and even if we mid-show think uh, like this discussion needs to have talks of uh, the twists and the endings, then we'll announce that and, you know, we'll do it after the end music of the show regardless, so, you know, we're not gonna spring it on you, you know what I mean? Uh, so let's do it, let's jump into the Barefooted Youth uh, discussion and review from 1964 and uh, uh, the translation of the Korean title is literally I mean, we've had this so many times, there's no like other poetics translation they're, lit- they're, ve- they're very uh, I don't know how Korean language works, but it seems like it's uh, effective uh, and to translate these titles into English because it literally means barefooted young or youth. Yeah, and, and the film is on Kafa as barefooted young. Yes, yes, uh, that's good to note because um, uh, it, uh, there's, a di- there's a few different names um, uh, floating about, either barefooted young or youth. Uh, so plot from the Kofa YouTube channel description, but for heaven's sake, don't read the whole thing on YouTube because it spoils the ending. Uh, don't read it at all. And um, it, It's good though because the uh, description is first in Korean and you have to push the see more button to read the English plot. So just jump into the movie directly and don't read anything before. And even on Wikipedia, they spoiled, uh, they spoiled the entire movie. So, so keep away from it. So I've obviously cut it short um, for uh, our purposes. So uh, the character of Joe Do-So, played by actor Shin Seong-il, a member of a gang, comes across and helps Joanna, played by Um Aing Ran, a college student who is about to have her handbag robbed by bullies on her way home. Um, Joanna is a diplomat's daughter and living the life of the upper class, whereas Joe do so wastes his days serving the gang. Attracted to one another because of their opposite lives, Do, Sue and Joanna quickly fall in love. And that's about the, maybe a third of the Kofa 
plot description. Uh, they go all out, which is like, dude, don't, <laughs> you know, cut, cut, cut yeah, them, cut them short. But uh, what are you gonna do if they, if we, we we found one negative aspect of Kofa, at least in terms of how they present pathogens or youth? But uh, uh, there you go. Uh, so again, to um, rehash some background on director Kim Kidaku, who shares his name with the director of The Isle and Free Iron, and uh, I. For a while, I saw a fair number of Kim Kidak movies, you know, that, that Kim Kidak, you know, um, but I haven't seen an, um, any of his recent movies. That's why I can't think of any recent movies. So it's the Isle Free Eye on Bad Guy, but I'm sure. Is this, you know, just on a tangent, is he still fairly active making a movie a year or every two years, the Isle Kim Kidak, that is? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's just, just in a death that's just taken place, you know, the Busan International Film Festival was the release of Mebius's latest silent film. Oh, really? Which there you is go. quite, quite something. I mean, they cut it to shreds before they'd release it, and still, you know, I watch a lot of twisted stuff, and I was still sitting thinking, he get away with this, wow. Um, it's quite something. So, he's yeah, he's still doing about one a year. Pieta was year before last, Amen, last year, Mebius this year, so... You know, they're all starting to fight with them again, though, because with the whole Pieta, he got awards left, right, and center. He thought he was back in command, and they've all started to slag him off again. So he's going to lose his mind and go off to the countryside and, you know, into exile again sooner or later. You know, but we've got to feel for the other Kim Key Duck because, thankfully, he's given up films because if he hadn't, his career would be all over the place because he's got the same name as that Kim Kida. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's talk about the, the older Kim then. Uh, really more known for his foray into the kaiju genre as he was the director of Yongari from 1967, a.k.a. Yongari, Monster from the Deep, which uh, we covered for What's Korean Cinema Episode 5. And uh, we'll do a rundown on Kim's uh, career uh, in this episode just like we did for that episode. Um, as for Bear for the Youth, it's uh, considered uh, one of the... Uh, Frontrunners in the so-called adolescent film genre that was popular in South Korea during the 1960s. And if you want to define it, I mean, there were school dramas, there were melodramas about uh, rebellion, uh, movement to adulthood, uh, if you will. And uh, they started way before that golden age in the 1950s and 60s and went on in the 70s and turned into, uh, maybe not more into, but they also were high school based movies in the 70s and 80s and just uh, not just you know adults um, fully adult characters if you will um, and it's also you know it's um, it's certainly always a template and uh, like direction any decade will pursue you know what I mean uh, so um, and, and I'm sure you can see traces of uh, the adolescent film today even if not um, a trend as such um, would you say that's uh, that's fair Paul? Very much so I mean he he really to my mind with Barefooted Youth and loads of his other films um, he was really into youth stuff and he got his name as being the you know as you say rebellious youth adolescent sort of deal but I mean those sort of things have been going way back I've 1936, Crossroads of Youth came out, which was sort of about, oh, look, you know, kids are becoming modern, 
it's all fallen to bits. And from that point on, Korea's been obsessed with it. I mean, if you look at around the same time as Phylon, Lies, Yellow Hair, they were a lot more sexual than Kim Ki Duck's stuff, but they were really just youth gone wild. This is what's going to happen, and it's all going to go to hell. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a constant thing, and barefooted youth was a huge part of that. Absolutely massive. Um, you know what can I say? He's, to my mind, one of the most important of, you know, golden age and beyond. Right. I mean, his uh, movie Barefooted Youth was, if my research is correct, his tenth feature film, and he entered the film industry in the mid fifties, first as an editorial engineer working himself up to assistant director and eventually debuting as co-director with the Korean war-themed film Five Marines in 1961. Uh, and that movie scored him a Best New Director award at the 1962 Grand Bell Awards uh, subsequently. And other movies by Kim include Until Peonies Blossom 1962, Private Tutor 1963, Keep Silent When Leaving 1964, A Burning Youth 1966 and Mother from 1966. And that Burning Youth is the, if you like, sequel to Barefooted Youth. Sequel uh, for some of the characters in the movie, or like a thematic sequel kind of thing? Just thematic. It's it's based on the same sort of storylines, step forward. I mean, we can't give any spoilers away, but it's not going to be exactly the same characters. Right, exactly. Um, um, but yeah, it's 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 essentially based in the same setting, same sort of gangster street thug, you know, against middle class. And uh, as uh, Paul mentioned, uh, Kim is really considered to be a leading director of the Korean new wave of the 1960s, uh, directing in the popular and distinctive melodrama genre, but uh, still found time or chased whimsies, if you will, or just got hired to helm a big monster movie in the case of Young Gary, Monster from Deep. And um, I, I said it on the last podcast we talked of Kim, and um, uh, my, my take on it, I'm sure that was not a beneath a graduate with a degree in creative writing. I mean, um, uh, you see creativity in different ways, and even if he was, you know, goon for hire, if you will, I'm sure Kim, um, you know, relished the chance to do something way different, way bigger, you know, and uh, and what do you know? I mean, it has meant global exposure, and uh, hopefully, you know, for, for me, it worked that way. I mean, I went from Yongari to checking out, you know, obviously, Barefooted Youth, so, so I mean, I hope that works for at least 10 more people or 20 more people, you know, that, uh, well, what has this guy done? Well, he's done drama. Whoa, cool. I want to see what a big monster movie director does with a drama. And how, hence you get the ball rolling that way, you know. Totally. And I think it works the other way as well, where people who, you know, get into his melodramas, his, his youth things, who then go, oh, he did a monster movie. Let's have a look at that. And, you know, we said at the time we loved young Gary, so... Again, it just, it underlines him as a great director. I'm really sorry he's still not working in Korean cinema today. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, he's actually retired from filmmaking since 1977. And uh, hopefully this is still um, uh, correct uh, info and all of that, that uh, he's, um, uh, and he's not passed away since, that he's working as a professor in the film department of Seoul Institute of the Arts. And, uh, as, far, as far as I know, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, because uh, you know it might be in his elder years, but I don't think he's necessarily you know on the on, on the verge of being eighty, ninety years old or anything. I think yeah, you know sixty, seventy years old, I suppose. Uh, but regardless, a uh, uh, respectful, uh, respectful career, and it, um, you know, if you've seen like a, a movie or two outside of uh, this, um, you Paula, uh, w- hopefully you can answer this. I mean, being a leader of this new wave, alongside directors like Shin Sang Ok, do, do you think Kim Kiduk's skill at melodrama and skill in general was way better than those? trying to make melodramas and dramas in general of the time. I mean, th- th- does his uh, handling of, you know, um, melodrama stand out? I mean, in the case of Barefoot of Youth, we can say this, it's not one of those hysterical melodramas, it's understated. So what's your take on his, uh, like, dramatic skills? And, and you've just exactly summed it up with those words. He, he does melodrama, he's known for melodrama, but it's not overly melodramatic far less melodramatic than a lot of other Golden Age directors. You take him and you take Kim Ki-young, for example, and their whole deal was, yeah, they, they work in melodrama, but they're going to make it twisted. They're going to make it darker. And I know for a fact that Kim ki Duck, probably more than anybody else, had a lot of trouble with censorship because he was always aiming to try and push things a little bit further, say a little bit more, in alongside the, the weeping, in, a, in alongside the, the heartache. And it, it's what, to my mind, makes him so, so iconic. The fact that he always tried to push it to say something that really, really needed to be said, regardless of who did or didn't want him to say it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see a few more of his movies uh, in that regard. Uh, do you know uh, offhand if Burning Youth is on uh, Kofa? Um, it's not, but from what I gather, it's coming soon. Um, as are a couple of other things. Is I think a private shooter is coming soon, and Keep Silent When Leaving is meant to be coming soon as well. Um, and this is all, I shouldn't really be telling you, this is all off the cuff from people involved with coffin that shouldn't be telling me stuff um, <laughs> but, um, there's more of his stuff coming uh, right well well, yeah. well 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 that well that's a good point that Kofa is uh, filling the channel uh, every you know and uh, they're not they're done uploading movies say uh, you know they, they uploaded a big chunk when they opened and obviously over time they uh, continue to uh, to add uh, to add to the service I mean it's a treasure trove in that regard yeah totally and uh, on, on the theme of censorship, uh, and again, uh, we, we will talk s- spoiler-free notes on the ending at this point, because I read a review of uh, uh, Youth by Darcy Packett, uh, and he writes a little bit about the reception of the film. It was apparently, uh, it apparently struggled to get a release due to extensive problems with the censorship board. And uh, the third president of uh, South Korea, Park uh, Chung-hee, himself watched the film's final edit and approved it for release. And... Uh, uh, it, it ran into so much um, trouble, even despite having the resolution at the end that it did have. I, I because it, it seemed like uh, the way I read it is that um, some elements were tacked on, you know, to avoid censorship problems. Uh, and uh, and uh, this ending scene maybe is the final scene rather than the next to last scene that uh, the review talks of. Um, 
so 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 if we assume it is the very last scene with the voiceover by a character in the film a very emotional voiceover it's supposed supposed to be an indication of the constraints placed on korean filmmakers of the day uh, um i don't know maybe to balance matters out i mean it uh, if it didn't have that last scene that then the movie would have been very effectively abrupt and then we got a last not tacked on scene. I mean, I, I enjoy the choices in that regard, but it's apparently an indication of the, the constraints placed on Korean filmmakers at the time to um, to just uh, comply, really, uh, with censors. Uh, I mean, I, I think that whole tacked on bit, if it was tacked on at the end, it's a really, really interesting subject, and I hate using the word interesting, but it is because I'd like to know whether it was Park Jong-hee or... Kim Ki Duck that dealt with that last scene because if you take it in terms of without giving any spoilers away in terms of the rest of the film it really sums up what the whole film's saying mm-hmm. and you just get the feeling that it is forced it is almost to make everything okay um, but it but it underlines the whole thing of, of these people that are from different sides of life who should not be together and mm-hmm. everybody will try and stop them from being together and it sort of it really does underline that and I'd, I'd just like to know if that was a government censorship thing or if Kim Ki-duk actually wanted to end the film with that scene definitely yeah yeah it's um, I, I agree it, it is effective I didn't feel like uh, oh my god what's this <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, so uh, so it's um it's a thing of a myth, I suppose. But uh, so judge for yourself when you do watch it, listeners. Uh, but the Bear for the Youth was a commercial success, and the actors, uh, leading actors uh, Shun Sung Il and uh, his uh, leading lady Eum Eng Ran became a really famous screen couple of the era, uh, thanks to the impact of the film, and even married in real life in uh, the mid sixties. Apparently, still very much public figures, both of them. Uh, he at one point tried getting into politics, and she makes uh, guest appearances as a motivational speakers so uh their um you know their names haven't faded in uh, history as such uh, it seems like there you go let's talk of the movie so paul super short for now try to keep it super short for now what's your uh, what's your brief take on the barefooted youth i mean you've hinted that you like it but uh, in short what what do you want to say about your um, your like or love for the film at this point you take the golden age of korean cinema and the, the whole changes to traditionalism that are going to pull Korea apart, as it was thought. And Barefooted Youth sums it up. Two people who should not be together from different sides of classes that should not mix going hell for leather to be together. Um, I, I love the fact that she, at the beginning, is so innocent, and he's just, you know, your average thug. As the film goes on, she first lies to her mother and as a result, it's just, it's its almost perfect the way it brings the whole idea of, let's say, what's Korean cinema? The whole idea of what's right, what's wrong, what's allowed, what's not. And if you step out of it, things are going to go badly for you. And, and the thing is, uh, I mean, you described it quite in a deep way, and that's good. But the, the ironic thing is that it's a super movie to get into. Uh, it's a very global, uh, the themes are very global, and it all is perfectly understated. It's slick looking, this movie, I mean, and it's slick sounding, and it breaks your heart by the end as well. That's my short take on it, uh, on it now. 
was going to say, when I was watching it last night, when you watched that lead character, I was immediately thinking James Dean. When I watched the dance scenes, I was immediately thinking, you know, West Side Story, the twist. And it's just, it is, it's universal, aside from being deeply Korean. And I love also that... Um you know, you 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 don't really know uh, going into a movie. It's uh, because it's uh, it's very launchy in the beginning. It's very uh, jazzy sounding, and uh, it, you might think it's a heist movie because you see it seems like there's a crime being planned here. And it's the groovy '60s man, and uh, the characters are smoking and looking cool, and uh, like really crisp black and white photography. You know, in widescreen as well, uh, looks fantastic. So. And I love a movie that uh, I can get interested in um, in that way, where it's like, okay, take me somewhere. I think uh, it, it doesn't seem like a standard template. It turns out it is, but it's one of those, hey, I, 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 I'm digging this groove. And like uh, the, the intense percussion score really dominates at the beginning as well. Like, man, oh man, this sounds fantastic and looks fantastic too. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the movie, like Phylon, actually challenged you in the following way, that uh, the lead character is uh, this mouthy hard-ass, you know, uh, getting into petty fights, and uh, is this, um, you know, almost gang... The, the, the gangsters, uh, he's not a gangster leader, he's uh, kind of used uh, willingly for dirty work, but it's one of those, like, let's just establish that this guy's a bit of an ass, and see if audiences will stay on board with his... Um, uh, his development when he finds love and warmth, you know, uh, and, and 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 the movie does that uh, incredibly well. It, it makes you stay with that uh, character. So it, it's uh, I I really dig, dig those challenges when obviously it's done well by the end. You know what I mean? But 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 having said that, when you look at it, uh, do you think it's a familiar template from Korean cinema at the time, or, or does this do its very unique original thing story-wise and theme-wise compared to a lot of melodramas out there it, it's it's two sides of the same coin again it's got that it is very standard if you strip everything away but there's constantly little bits where kim ki Duck pushes things further and further both in terms of what's allowed and in terms of what he's saying yeah at the end of the day it is starting out as a gangster thing which turns into you know a melodramatic love story which is essentially what Phylon does as well mm-hmm. um, but it pushes things so much further the, the image of him going into the club and them showing a picture on a wall of two naked female bodies with lights coming out of the nipples <laughs> in 1964 and you know you just sit there and think wow and even if going sort of, yeah, you sort of do, you just think, how can they get away with this? You know, flashing neon nipples. Um, when when the main character is talking to his girlfriend, he says, I want to see your breasts, and she starts to take off her top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, within all the normality, within the normal sort of gangster thug to love thing, there are so many things that I assume at the time would just have made people sit up and go. I think that's partly why it was so popular then, and I think it's why it holds to being completely engaging in 2013. Oh, definitely, and uh, it's intriguing trying to get a grasp on this world, you know, that is very, you know, raunchy to an extent, you know, uh, 
and um, and and that and and it's intriguing to follow a character that's uh, being Shunshu um, uh, character that doesn't seem firmly destined or encouraged to be a gangster anyway. So that detour, that emotional detour that is looming, obviously be um, involving romance with a girl out of his social sta- uh, status and league. I mean, that, that's uh, really. Um, Effective and intriguing to follow, and it helps that actor Shun Sung Il, who, if you haven't seen him in a movie before, this is the movie to be a f- become a fan yeah. of him because here we get get this incredibly handsome actor, of course, but just sells that rugged and character look and demeanor. You know, it's so nicely immersed in that character, really, really dark. Uh, it's believable in my eyes. It's believable. It's one not one of those. Okay, can we get a Korean James Dean kind of esque character d- done here for commercial purposes? It's not that desperate, uh, desperately made. You know, he's um, boom. He he is that character. He's he really there. Is. Yeah, massively. He's right there. You, you just think that's the way he must be. It's so believable. And he's he's vulgar. He's rude. He's, uh, he he does things for his own amusement, and um, and, and to an extent, he's bored too. Uh, because uh, the gangster life is not all, you know, it's not uh, good fellas, um, you know, glamorous. This life, you know. I mean, they do have that club they go to, but that that that's pretty much it. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, again, uh, gotta compliment the widescreen f- photography. Uh, I'm I'm not too sure in '64, uh, but maybe they did start using uh, uh, shooting movies in widescreen. Uh, but but I wasn't expecting it, and it really looks slick. And thankfully, the Kofa print looks excellent as well. It's definitely remastered, and uh, it, it's a, a nice contrast to the movie of our last episode, Flower in Hell, which was this barely getting it made type of movie meaning it's so it was shot on so such a shoestring budget and with uh, equipment that kept breaking down and here's like 60s uh, korean cinema even though that was 50s looking super slick and um really well shot and could you know measure up to any western uh, movie of the time yeah totally totally you know i'm just on a very separate note if anybody hasn't ever watched things from sort of the early 60s, 50s, whatever. At that point in Korean cinema, they were still recording sound post-shooting. Mm-hmm. So as you're watching the film, for the first little bit, you'll notice that maybe the the sounds don't perfectly match with the voices. Um, but you soon forget that after a couple of minutes. Oh, yeah, you're into it, definitely. Uh, on on uh, on that tangent again, a widescreen. Do you know that in general, if they started to um, uh, shoot in widescreen in the sixties, or did they start did they start that earlier? Uh, as a matter of fact, as far as I'm aware, it was early sixties, um, and it was down to sort of Kim Ki Young and his ilk that got it moving. Um, certainly, if you go back to the fifties, I don't, I can't off the top of my head remember anything that was close to Bethel Youth, but by the stage of it it was it was well established. I mean it was pretty much widescreen and the sound thing was gonna come shortly after it. So mm-hmm. they were they were moving forward certainly. And and I'm glad the elements are in uh, in widescreen therefore I mean uh, older Korean cinema and older cinema of any kind, if not super well preserved, it might be you know, it might be um, hard to track down the perfect elements, but uh, for this one, they definitely have good elements, and it's uh, 
remastered and all of that. But uh, back to uh, back to Joanna. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's again a very common character. You know, she but it, it's in, as immersing to follow. Uh, mainly, no, not mainly. This is unfair, but I'm gonna say it anyway. She is thankfully not this. Um, uh, super gorgeous hardy you know she's very uh she she is a beautiful woman but thankfully she's a bit homely looking as a woman even outside of the screen you know and therefore that she fits the role um even better you know it's a it's a great performance and role already but i like her uh, her look uh, in particular in that character dares to break conventions you know she's coming out of her shell and when you look at her, you don't see someone, you know, being brave and mouthy or anything. Uh, uh, you know, she so she's breaking out of her shell. She's comfortable, but she's scared at the same time. You know, she's uh, there's a lot of new things that she uh, does in this movie. You know, she um, she tastes alcohol uh, willingly for the first time. You know, she does that in her own bedroom, like tries to <laughs> tries to drink for vodka for the first time, what have you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's even one point in the film where. He- says, do you want to go for a cup of coffee? And she says, well, I've never been in a coffee shop. I'm a bit scared. Yes. <laughs> so it's, um, so it's incredible. You know, it's, and her next door image, compared to the girls he hangs about with in that bar, I mean, a lot of them are really striking. But her homeliness just, again, makes her believable that she would fall for this, you know, dashing thug and fall completely head over heels in love. And and it's not like he uh, continues to be an ass towards her, you know, because when they enjoy each other's company. That's the thing. And uh, they want to do stuff uh, for each other and with each other, uh, you know, show an interest in each other's uh, respective uh, worlds. So it's really two kids, uh, f- uh, you know, within this romantic template. You know, it's very... Very light and pleasant, and the well-paced and carried between those two. You know, a movie that can pull off, uh, pull off a walk and talk between characters for a little while or for a long while. You know, that's um, that's a good sign of uh, chemistry and confident direction because uh, uh, we have a few of those scenes where they just, uh, you know, walk and chat. And uh, and uh, I, I love the little bits. It's so uh, it's very cute, even if the story turns dark and dramatic uh, later. Uh, she uh, reads up on sports. Uh, she wants to uh, find out more about, uh, you know, his world and kind of relate to him. And and he uh, goes to the opera with her, and that he's and falls asleep in the chair, which is funny as hell because it's not an opera with quiet music. It's you know, it's uh, it's something that would be would keep you awake, but. Uh, I don't know, it's just something that he's not used, I suppose, but it's an intense opera. Or a piece of classical, uh, or or a piece of classical music that we're playing. I I think it's just, it's it's beautifully done, both those sections. I love the way she's lying in her bed, reading up on, you know, wrestling, and her mother mother knocks on the door, she hides a magazine under the pillow, and you just think, wow, you know, there's just this innocence, and the girl going to hell again it's just it's amazing it's wonderful and then finally on a, a bit that i love uh, she um at one point she uh, works out she, she has little weights that she works out with for, so for some reason she wants to be a little bit stronger <laughs> 
but uh, the beats, as we've said, uh, kind of the theme of the review, the beats make it approachable, the story beats, and the, famili- the familiarity makes it approachable as well. But it feels genuine. I mean, you've got to be genuine about when dealing with uh, romance that you uh, recognize, you know what I mean? Boy Meets a Girl can be the best experience ever if it's uh, due to, if chemistry is... Uh, established and uh, there's an you know an, an enjoyable factor watching two on screen you know i mean you don't need to be deep about it you just make it enjoyable and, uh, and it definitely is yeah you know yeah. Uh, which is um you know will make it uh, it is approachable even in 2013 uh, which is a very uh, uh and it's not cliched either which is very um assuring and um and uh, it made me happy that it uh, stands out despite being so old it really does, not it? It still feels real, a lot more real than your average Hollywood weepy of the week. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, when it turns so uh, you know dark and a bit more weepy, it's uh, that uh, understated nature of Kinky Duck's direction is uh, all inspiring to me because uh, there, there are those like scenes that you expect that that the parents won't approve and uh, that he's looked down on. He has self doubt about if he's worthy or not to be with her and in her company you know and and there's some simple but heartbreaking stuff like him overhearing uh, her parents saying to her that uh, uh, he doesn't belong in our circle and man oh man you know your heart sinks when you see that but it's not like kim kidok slows down the film and and like focuses on the moment it's just something that happens and you're invested in the character therefore it's heartbreaking, you know. Exactly. And the same thing goes for when, at one point, he, he thinks it's not going to work. He tells her to leave. And if you look at his face, there's a there's a couple of tears in his eyes. Nothing's said about it. It's not weepy. It's not overly melodramatic. But you can tell his heart's breaking by making her leave. And the fact that it's so real and the fact that it's so understated just makes it all the more heartbreaking. Definitely, and uh, um, really the tail end of my notes because we're not going to spoil the ending. Obviously, uh, I mean there's a there's a dramatic ending. Let's just say that it's not a comedic ending or anything. It's a, <laughs> it's a dramatic ending uh, because the movie kind of uh, uh, takes a, a turn. But uh, um, I just briefly want to single out uh, uh, another small moment that Kim Kidak excels at that. Uh, the, at one point they're having lunch and he doesn't know the proper table manners you know he starts you know chewing his food and starts you know <laughs> launching at the food when in reality the the table manners are uh, quite different to what he does and it's such a beautiful human moment it, it's funny but uh, you know he, he he doesn't know it but he wants to learn you know it's not like he's uh, you know i'll do what i want i'll eat however i want uh, so i i love those little like cute moments it made me really interesting uh, in Kim Kidak as a director, um, nailing those small moments, you know. Yeah, massively. Have you seen like a ton of his movies, or the, or um, you know, have you seen five, ten movies by him, or are you still like in your, your discoveries? Six, six, seven, I guess. Right on. Um, it, it's it's back to the same thing for a long time. Finding these films was virtually impossible when you find one every two years um, it's getting better and there are a lot of things including his stuff that I'd still like to see um, but everything he, I, I've seen of his I loved 
but I didn't love it as much as Perfect Youth. It's, mm-hmm. it's easily my favourite Kim Ki-duk film. And it even beats Young Gary, which you may have, <laughs> you, you may have an issue with Kim, but it's better. I, I, I think it's fair to say it's better, but uh, both are high, highly enjoyable. What a double bill, totally. you know. <laughs> I'm curious, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but, you know, this movie here, as you said, has raunchy elements, but still the kiss is done and uh, uh, conveniently and consciously concealed behind a window frame. That and is the, the ultimate taboo for 60s Korean film. It really is, you isn't know? it, yeah. Well, yeah, you can you can have, I'm going to say it again, you can have luminous light bulb nipples on a wall, you can have a girl almost getting her breasts out, you can have fighting, you can have whatever you want, but you actually look for a lingering kiss in 50s, 60s movies, you're not going to find it. It's it's the ultimate taboo. It's just not there. But, but that, that, I think, is actually... Yeah. Almost, I mean, I'm gonna, over, I'm gonna reach here, but um, uh, you know, screw it. Uh, it's kind of, you know, Kim Kidok's FU, I think, to the sense as well. I'm gonna create a little stylish moment here, you know, the kiss behind the window frame, because it, you know, it's a, it's a cool little shot. It's not like they pull the curtains or any, you know, cheap trick like that. It's like, uh, let's just uh, be a little bit quirky about uh, a big moment, you know. And, it's, a, it's a nice way to look at it, actually. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, it, uh, it reeks more maybe of um, local uh, government censorship than uh, like the last scene that we touched uh, ever so briefly on. But uh, I don't know, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that if you draw a comparison to Japanese um, uh, pink cinema, uh, because they, they couldn't show, they, they could show uh, naked breasts, but not the nudity. So they had to co- obviously conceal stuff um, through production design, you know, you know place lamps uh, in uh, inconvenient places but they're always within a stylish frame so it's always like they they were having fun at the very silly uh, with the very silly uh, uh, government uh, restrictions which are uh, which uh, were restrictions regardless of uh, you know you were having fun with them or not so and i mean korean cinema stole that from japan as well a lot of the 70s movies you know you've got lamps you've got little bits of sticky out things on tables just to cover up what needs to be covered up mm-hmm. um, but yeah mm. uh, so really that's the tail end of my notes so I'll uh, let you um, share whatever you like about it whether it's the beginning of the movie middle of the movie or end of the movie Paul so what do you want to what do you want to say if you want to say anything more about it for the youth for me it's the end of the movie whether that ending is because of censorship or was what Kim Ki-duk wanted to do, I think it makes the entire film ten times more worth Oh, it, wow. it really is heart-wrenching. Uh, heart uh, that um, speech by um, one of the supporting characters, really. Uh, um, again, I'm being vague, so that's uh, definitely not uh, within context, but it, it really made the movie for me, to be honest. I mean, it could have ended on, yeah, totally. on, a, uh, on the prior scenes uh, key image and it would have been like very um heart-wrenching too but uh, i think it's... i would have been in, in in hindsight if i'd seen both i would have been disappointed if it had ended on the previous scene that right, last right. scene for me is the scene of the film so um i mean uh, it's um 
it's definitely uh, definitely not um, you you're not taken out of it and it really makes the movie so uh, uh, for barely two hours it's uh, really uh, flies by you know if you're into it then it definitely does fly by because you think like okay a 60s movie running this long can it really sustain and god damn it it definitely can and then some you know but uh, it kind of felt just right you know uh, 10 20 minutes more that would have been you know pushing it but it just felt just right uh, in my in my mind beautifully paced just it just works uh, so let's again uh, talk of the availability that we have touched upon, but it's always a segment, so we'll do it there. Uh, the excellent looking uh, black and white uh, widescreen print is available to watch for free, legally, on the Korean Film Archive's YouTube channel. And it has optional subtitles, and I've already forgot if it's uh, on there as Barefooted Young or Youth, but if you hey, search... Barefooted Young. That, that was it, yes, yes. Uh, we'll obviously link to uh, to the full movie, so check it out uh, for free without any uh, your consciousness intact. The only thing I'm slightly disappointed about, but it's uh, really first world problems, I think there might be a restriction in regards to how, um, how the videos are uploaded, because you can't view it on either mobile devices or on the PlayStation 3 YouTube app. Uh, I think it's just something that they possibly can't do, that you can only watch it on the web. But uh, obviously if you have a laptop uh, or connect your um, computer to your TV, then that works fine too. But but I was hoping that the YouTube app for my PlayStation 3, uh, that it uh, would have been viewable there, but alas, no. Uh, but I suppose that's it. So let's uh, just uh, take a small musical break and jump ahead to 2001 and... Um, my uh, one of my personal favorites, Phylon, starring Cecilia Jung and Choi Min Sik. And uh, coming up in this uh, second review is plenty of background information, and you'll find out which Korean celeb movie star did he meet. I mean, based on the fact that we're talking Phylon, it's not really hard to find out, you know. Yeah, but you're building it up really well. <laughs> I got beaten up by him. Like, whoa, really? What did you say? <laughs> Uh, so uh, let's uh, talk about Phylon and that after the break, everybody. So see you in a bit. Welcome back and the second movie of this show is Phylon from 2001, a plot from uh, Wikipedia that left out some details for once, you know, holy hell, they didn't spoil the movie, uh, the person who submitted the plot synopsis didn't spoil the movie, rather. so um uh, here we go. After losing both her parents, Phi Lam, played by Hong Kong actress Cecilia Jung, emigrates to Korea to seek her only remaining relatives. Once she reaches Korea, she finds out that her relatives have moved to Canada well over a year ago. Desperate to stay and make a living in Korea, Phi Lam is forced to have an arranged marriage through a matchmaking agency. Kang Jae, played by Choi Min-sik, is an old and outdated gangster who has no respect from his peers. Short on money, Kang Jae decides to take on that arranged marriage with Phi Lam. Uh, having nothing more than a picture of Kang Jae, 
Phylon spends her days dreaming and wishing Kangjir would come to visit her. Uh, she often writes to him in sorrow about how much she misses and thinks about him, but never has the nerve to give the letters to him. Things take a turn when Kangjir is asked by his boss to take the fall for a murder in exchange for some money. The only hope in his worthless life is now the wife he never met. So, there you go. And, and that's kind of the midpoint of the movie with some dips into the latter points um, in the movie as well, but not a um, spoiler type of plot. So let's uh, talk of director Song Hei Song, who is the writer and director, and uh, this uh, movie is an adaptation uh, from the Japanese uh, novel Love Letter by Jiro Asada. So let, let's, uh, in reality, just talk very briefly on uh, about Asada, who is an award-winning writer, um, having focused both on tales of the Yakuza as well as developing interest in historical dramas, this uh, Japanese writer, that is. Awarded works include uh, the Eiji Prize for Best New Writer in 1995 for the uh, novel of book Metro Ninote and the Shibata Rensaburo Prize for Mibu Gishiden in 2000. So it's an award-winning and known writer who uh, wrote Love Letter, which this novel um, or book is called. And on director Song Hei Song uh, debuted in 1999 as director with the time travel romance Kala, but got his first big acclaim with his second feature. I mean, holy hell, second feature. I mean, it's, so, some, some, some goddamn Korean directors make splendid debut movies but uh, it's always amazing that oh, wow second feature and it's this good uh, and uh, it is Thailand indeed and it was a medium attended movie in Korea it was uh, number 18 at um, uh, in terms of admissions in 2001 229,000 admissions in comparison Friend was first uh, first place in terms of admissions 1.5 million admissions so um, quite a difference uh, there uh, t- top five cinema admissions at that uh, year uh, at that time was uh, well uh, were all over one million. So, uh, but it was a praised movie and eventually led to a uh, song receiving the best director award at the 2002 Grand Bell Awards. So, it, uh, life uh, was still sweet in terms of praise and critical acclaim and what have you. So, uh, he followed it up in 2004 with uh, Ricky Dosan, a biopic about the legendary ethnic Korean pro wrestler who became a national hero in Japan in the 1950s. Uh, not material that lit the box office on fire, but Song did receive yet another Grand Bell Award for, uh, in terms of, um, it was the Best Director uh, Grand Bell Award uh, the following year. Uh, other movies include his box office hit Monday First Day in uh, 2006 and the rather bland remake of uh, John Woo's 1986 Hong Kong classic A Better Tomorrow in 2010, which uh, we actually covered for Podcast on Fire some time ago. But uh, that was uh, from Fai Lam director. Man, he took a step down, you know, in quality. Um, latest movie at the time of recording is his adaptation of the novel Aging Family Core, and the movie is called Boomerang Family, a drama comedy about three misfit siblings with an average age of 39 who decide to move back in with their mother. Do you know if this um, Boomerang Family is released yet, Paul? It is released in Korea. It's being released in the UK next year by Third Window. Um, right. And it's getting huge acclaim um, really yeah have you uh, ha, have you seen it yet though it's not out on uh video I, got, yet, so. I got a screener i got a screener from third window the day before yesterday 
I have a feeling you're looking forward to it based on like the fact that you could revisit Phylon and get to talk about the directors. It feels like like yeah, let's fit in like the very recent stuff, you know. And they really uh, this, the question applies here as well as um, it did with Kinky Duck. Uh, in a particular like views on Song Hye Sung's career and his place in modern Korean cinema uh, from your side. So what is it to say if you want to talk about the song? For me, he is always the director of feeling. It, it was his film. Um, I haven't really rated much he's done since Monday Thursday. Yeah, okay, it was it was fair enough. Um, as you say, a better tomorrow was abysmal. Um, so I'm really looking forward to Boomerang Family because I'm hoping it's going to make me feel the way I felt about the director when I watched Feeling for the first time. Um, did you see uh, Kala, his first movie, The Time Travel movie? I saw Kala, and I, I, I did enjoy it, and I thought it built his career well to violent. Um From there, I haven't seen the the one that came after that, the Rico Dosan. Um, but really, if you'd asked me before he did Boomerang Family, I would have said he was really good till feeling, and he sort of plummeted a little bit and I'm not really eh, not really that moved um, I'm hoping Boomerang which also um, is the gala closing show of the Korean Film Festival in London this year wow. and the, direct, the director will be there so hopefully you never know I might get to say hi um, <laughs> what happened man <laughs> like start shaking what, him like <laughs> what happened you know get, come on Another Thailand, Thailand 2. Um, so I, I'm hoping... <laughs> Thailand 2, electric boot. Yeah, exactly. Look, I, I'm hoping Boomerang Family is as good as the hype because he does deserve more recognition that he's got, even though his in-between movies have been less than they could have been. It doesn't seem like, um, you know... Uh, the claim has still been there. So it's not like yeah, he went on to make you know really bland and commercial movies like A Better Tomorrow for the rest of his career up until this point. It seemed like yeah, there was ambition there anyway, uh, you know, uh, rather than making uh, standard uh, templates and standard like bland templates. But uh, the, the Better Tomorrow remake is, uh, I don't know, I have not. You can do a remake well, but it felt um, it didn't feel um, genuine really, to be honest. And, that, and that's what it all comes down to. I mean, you can't compare that remake of A Better Tomorrow. It's just the word why comes to mind. You know, you take a remake of Eye in the Sky, Cold Eyes, which you just think that was just amazing and it was worth remaking. He just, he hit A Better Tomorrow wrong, whether you consider it that it didn't need to be remade or it was the wrong story to be remade it shouldn't have been made from my point of view. Indeed, I agree. Uh, okay, a few notes on the actors, starting with uh, one of Korea's elite actors and certainly one I became a fan of instantly um, when I saw him in this, I think. Uh, I might have seen him in Shiri first. I wasn't a big fan of Shiri, to be honest, uh, so I don't remember where he was or what he did in that movie. <laughs> but Phylon stood out, and it's Choi Min-sik. And of course, globally recognized as a fine character actor and the star of uh, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. Uh, he graduated with a degree in theatre and was an acclaimed stage actor before venturing into film in the late 80s. 
He mixed uh, stage work and TV in the 90s, but made a distinct return to film at the end of the decade with roles in Number 3 and in Kim Ji-Woon's classic The Quiet Family. And, of course, in the record-breaking, big-budget 1999 action thriller, Shiri. Am I very alone in that? that, that for like Shiri, yeah, it's a decent uh, distraction and it's exciting at points, but no, no, nothing that lingered at all in my mind. No, I tend to agree with you. I, I know it gets, you know, it is classic cinema and it's, it's hoisted as, oh yeah, this was the start of the whole North-South dissections in Korean cinema, but it's watchable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you a know, ga- I, you know, it's a gateway, I suppose. But uh, man, is it, it doesn't stand out as a uh, an effective classic. Important, possibly, but not effective in my mind. And that sums it up. It's important, but I've seen better. I've seen better before. And I've seen go, go, better go, go! Watch JSA if you want a good like North and South uh, examination. Yeah, exactly. Oh, welcome to Dog McCall. So. Yeah, even 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 comrade, you know, remain Sherry's just yeah. It started the ball rolling, but I think it gets much, much too many, too many accolades for what it is. Uh, but uh, Choi did get um, on the subject of accolades. He got the Grand Bell Award for Best Actor in uh, in Sherry, and he was at Cannes Film Festival in 2000, 2002 with his high-profile role as the famous 19th-century Korean painter Jang Seong Up, in and that was in the movie. Chi Hua Sion by Incontech. And uh, that movie won the Best Director Prize that year in Cannes. And Choi Min Sik returned to Cannes with Old Boy the year after, which also picked up the Grand Prix Award that year. And Choi's popularity skyrocketed in. Um, I mean, I, he might have been really popular in Korea. Old Boy made him more popular. And obviously, overseas, uh, as Old Boy got, you know, and still does get quoted and gets global exposure, um, you know, continually with new home video releases. And um, it, it's obviously got a Spike Lee-directed uh, remake coming up, so hopefully that will trigger some uh, new viewers of Old Boy. For for the record, I like half of Old Boy. I wasn't affected by the second half of Old Boy, but it's, it's, obviously, it's obviously quite good. Because uh, I, I, I liked um, JSA um, and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance a lot more, and Old Boy started. Uh, I started to lose interest in uh, Park Chan Wook through Old Boy. A, 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 a damning thing to say, but hey, you know, you know, I, I do review pornography porn, so you know, my opinion isn't necessarily <laughs> one to listen to. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily disagree. With you. Yeah, I think Old Boy's good. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance more. It's a better film. Um, for Choi Min-sik, the credits uh, after Old Boy uh, includes um, appearing in Park Chan-wook's closing film of the Revenge trilogy, uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Uh, and it all started, obviously, with Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, followed up with Old Boy and then Lady Vengeance. Uh, eventually, he took a multi-year hiatus from film again and went back to theater in a protest, really, of the reduction of screen quotas in Korea, something he publicly protested and was awarded for as well and the issue kind of breaks down like this uh, hopefully i'll explain it well uh, the issue essentially being that the number of korean movies required to be screened each year fell by half at one point so increased access to hollywood movies happen but at the expense of homegrown productions and therefore 
less chance for local films to gain a following and be made and Choi verbally and vocally protested and and as a further kind of sign of protest even though he was not an ass about it he returned that award the prestigious uh, Okwan order of cultural merit which had been awarded to him and he was quoted saying to have the screen quote uh, 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 less than half this tantamount to a death sentence for Korean film this medal once a symbol of pride is now nothing more than a sign of disgrace and it is with a heavy heart I must return I must return it um, I, and I assume at that time it was uh, something that was very um, public this uh, protest so I'm sure you followed it with uh, interest at the time it was a few years ago now but uh, it to me, he always came off. Reading about it, he always it came off as him uh, wanting to wanting the best rather than being this, you know, uh, mouthy, you know, protester. You know what I mean? It really came off as balanced. Uh, Choi eventually returned to film in two thousand and nine in the art film Himalaya, where the wind dwells, and he's seen greater exposure again in the global sense uh, through his appearance in Kim Ji Woon's two thousand and ten thriller I Saw the Devil. And uh, finally, some of his latest credits credits at the time of recording is uh, 2012's Nameless Gangster, uh, which was a critical and uh, box office hit. And he also appeared in New World, described as a crime noir, noir which was also successful critically and commercially. And uh, really, my brief take on Choi Min-sik, and you can give yours definitely, of course, is, is one of those actors that you never see him appear uh to go on autopilot. Uh, really is one of those actors that has full control of everything he does. He, obviously when he's guided well by a director that is uh, even more effective. And a man that apparently can speak his mind again without being uh, being a dick about it. You know, he seems like a proper gent uh, uh, off screen as well. So that's my quote. Uh, that, that's my like uh, transition to what do you want to say about Choi Min-sik in general. And talk about when you met the man just a <sighs> month or two ago so um essentially you, you again you've summed it up by using the word gentleman um you know old boy will forever be in everybody's mind when they think of Choi min sick the idea of him holding a hammer is the sort of deal um so when you go to meet him you assume he's going to be quite a forceful guy he did a protest on the screen quote as you think he's going to be Pretty full on. This is most gentlemanly man I've ever met. Almost um, introduced. It was a group interview, which, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but group interviews are really difficult to get a rapport going. But he was so nice, so gentlemanly. He introduced his wife to the entire people there. Um, and I, I, I did get to ask him a fair few questions about the screen quota, about the hammer, about the fact that his latest movies have been pretty much, you know, your gangster, hard-hitting, etc., etc. And I was surprised by his answers. Um, I started the whole interview by saying, you did the screen quota thing, what do you think of Korean cinema today? And he went, before we talk about today, and he just started off on the screen quota thing again. Um, any of your listeners that want to go and check out the interview, that first answer is huge because he went through the whole thing. It obviously still sits in his head right mm -hmm. at the front of his mind. 
and he hasn't got past it at all. Um, in terms of the whole hard-hitting dramas, he won't, wants to make a love story. He's a bit sick of being typecast as, you know, Mr. Hard, but nobody will give him a job as a, you know, a love role because he is Mr. Old Boy. Um, it was a really, really, it was a nice experience, wonderful gentleman. I was a huge fan before. I'm an even bigger fan now. I just wish someone would give him another filing to start. Exactly, because it is a romantic role. I mean, he cleans up, he's a place of fuck, yeah, but he cleans up well uh, and can provide warmth. And uh, I would have no trouble seeing him in any role. He's one of those actors, like, I can buy him in anything. And uh, yeah, he is a heavy and a weighty presence or whatever, but uh, he, he can do it all. So, so yeah, it's a shame if uh, he's not... Um, uh, given like a commercial chance to to matter in uh, like very much milder roles, but you know he can do it in a heartbeat and be critically acclaimed. So just uh, financiers and what have you, just take a chance on Choi in that regard. Totally. There has there been talks uh, at all about um, um, any English language movies for him, or he's one of those guys that nah, I'll, I'll stay in Korea, I'm fine here. He's kind of happy with Korea, apart from he's about to star in a Luke Besson film with Scarlett Johansson. I think it's called Lucy. Um, right on. He, he didn't really want to give very much away, but you got the feeling that he was doing it specifically because it was Luke Besson rather than being an outside Korea production. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's, he's up for doing that. Um, other work he's got coming, he really didn't have a chance to say very much about. Uh, um, but, you know, certainly he's not interested in directing, um, which someone always asks in interviews. Uh, he's just, he is the actor he is, and I think he's excited about the international coverage of a, a film that's made by a director who he obviously has great respect for. I don't know. Maybe look this on uh, back in the directing chair again because obviously he's been uh, writing and producing these uh, European action movies for a number of years. I mean, t- Taken and the Transporter movies, but hopefully uh, it may be a little bit more substantial than just a, a popcorn flick, which is not a bad thing. I'm a gen- uh, in general, I'm a fan of Luc Besson's uh, work of the last few years as producer and writer. Uh, uh, you know, because it's fun. You know, it's uh, so. So maybe, uh, but regardless of uh, what it is, um, hopefully, hopefully it's um, effective and not a like a very um, uh, it comes off as a desperate like career move or anything by Troy Music. I I think I think he's he's too switched on to do that. I don't think he needs a career move. You know, he is he is Korean cinema. He's you know he's massive. Um, so I don't think he needs it. I think he's just looking to branch out, maybe to get a chance to play things that he can't currently get to play in Korean cinema. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right on, let's uh, move on a little bit to uh, Hong Kong actress uh, Cecilia Cheung, who uh, Choi Min-sik shares the screen with for about mm, two minutes. I mean, uh, in motion, two seconds, and... And uh, in still form, I, w- I won't say more, for about one or two minutes. <laughs> but they're not on screen together at all, <laughs> essentially, but, which is the point. But uh, uh, regardless, uh, she's a Hong Kong actress whose big break came in her debut versus Stephen Chow in the box office hit King of Comedy in 1999. This is 2001 Phylum. 
and for good reasons uh, that break there she is quite lovely and uh, that um, Stephen Chow movie King of Comedy is as mad as anything Stephen ever did but mixed in with a little bit of emotion it is a sweet romance uh, between the two and she uh, she makes an immediate impact and all of that so uh, she became a steady worker from that point in commercial movies and what have you but it was under the direction of director Derek Yee in his return to directing after five after a five-year hiatus uh, with uh, Lost in Time that Cecilia got her biggest acclaim as an actress uh, playing the widow and single mother uh, after her fiancé dies in a bus accident uh, and uh, she was eventually and rightly given the Best Actress Award at the Hong Kong Film Awards for her performance in Lost in Time. Uh, she went on to work with Yi again on his dark um, uh, Christmas New Year's thriller, uh, One Night in Mongkok versus uh, Daniel Wu. And she was in uh, Johnny Toe's and Waikafa's multi-mood genre bender Running on Karma, which he co-starred with Andy Lau in the big muscle suit. But uh, believe it or not, that is a dark-ass violent and funny movie. You know, it's one of those like, wow, it's all over the place and unexpected, you know, so... Did you ever see Running on Karma by any chance? I haven't. I've seen very, very few of Celia Chung's films, I have to be honest. Um, I really need to check out more. Yeah, if I wanted to recommend two, three, you know, King of Comedy, because it's a fantastic Stephen Chow movie, and Lost in Time due to her uh, dramatic role, and, uh, and Running on Karma, because it's... Um, Man, it's a, it's a ride. And, uh, you know, the muscle suit is there for comedic purposes, but the movie takes some dark turns that it definitely earns. So, uh, and, and I trust uh, Johnny Toe as a director in that regard. That they just, just take me there. You know, I don't care. Uh, so, uh, more known, unfortunately, for her life outside of the movies, uh, Cecilia, that is, uh, she was one of the women, um, several women involved in the so-called Edison Chen photo scandal a few years ago. Um, naked pictures of her because she dated uh, or was involved with Edison at uh, some point uh, they, these pictures were found on a hard drive that Edison Chen turned into a computer shop for repair and those pictures got spread on the internet obviously in the tabloids and, uh, and it really like um, you know it was this tidal wave of just bad bad stuff you know uh, negativity and uh, but uh, uh, there you go it, it's what it is uh, um, she uh, took quite a break from movies um, maybe not due to that but she did and uh, she eventually had a child and married actor singer Nicholas Che uh, they were divorced in 2011 as a matter of fact uh, and has made she has made movies um, uh, movie appearances and the lead role steadily since 2001 but she's not made a huge splash uh, re-splash <laughs> as of yet because movies have been uneven and probably her performances to a degree but I I'm a bit vague about that because I've not seen any of her recent movies. I've only heard, like, on, you know, the rumor mill, what, what, what they are and uh, what they're possibly not. Uh, uh, because I don't have time to follow recent Hong Kong cinema and really not uh, the biggest urge either to follow recent Hong Kong cinema. But she is a talented actress, and I hope, um, I'm hoping she uh, rebounds with some good material um, soon. Uh, just like many Hong Kong actresses, she has released um, albums as well. She's a counter-pop singer, uh, over 10 albums. Which I thought when I saw that, well, hey, what a prolific singer. Uh, no, that's not prolific. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you, you got to compare uh, prolific versus... Uh, de uh, you got to compare other counterpop singers. If you go by the discography of the counterpop duo Twins, uh, Gillian Chung and Charlie Choi, 
10 is not prolific there. I mean, uh, the twins have 50 plus compilations and new albums constantly. I mean, the Canto pop scene is huge. Maybe not quality as such, but, uh, you know, it's um, she has not made a huge splash in, in terms of uh, being a singer on the scene and what have you. But uh, there you go. It's, it's quite amusing because it sounds like such a hassle to collect. You know, if uh, the likes of the twins just releases tons of stuff, you know, daily. <laughs> uh, but uh, so they get an idea of what's prolific and what's not. So, Paul Vailan, again, a short first opinion first before we go in depth. Uh, I mean, I know you like it, but uh, in short, what do you want to say about Vailan first? I love Vailan. Just as we were saying with Barefooted Youth, it's melodrama, but it's not melodramatic. Um, all the all the heartache is felt by those around Celia Chung's character, Violet, um, and I think that keeps it from being yet again movie of the week. It's mm-hmm. a gorgeous film. If you're into gangster stuff, it's gonna hit you because of the start. If you're into melodrama, it's gonna hit you because of the end. Watch Violet; it's astounding. Yeah, it's uh, the theme of understated continues here. I think for you've. Uh... Yeah, because it is a story of where a, a worthless, unsympathetic character hit by a wall of warmth. Uh, and uh, it's really, you know, also about how you break down this gangster exterior and reveals the warmth that was in there. Or we see the warmth for the first time in this gangster. And uh, the direction is incredibly confident. And despite the understated, they prepared to be an emotional wreck by the end. And uh, but that's not due to hysterics, you know, on screen. It's just like wow, that was uh, wow, that was a journey. Below two hours as well, one hundred and sixteen minutes or what have you. So it's a it's a it's a micro Korean movie, <laughs> micro length. Uh, I I love that um, you don't see this too much in Hong Kong cinema, for instance. That it seems like in Korean cinema, or maybe it's just this movie that triad hangouts, gangster hangouts, are these cramped arcade halls. With digital slot machines, and that's where we find Choi Min Six character uh, sleeping at the uh, digital uh, slot machine. Uh, I just love that um, feel. Like, okay, we're not talking again, Goodfellas gangster world here. This is, uh, you know, lower ranked, uh, lower ranked uh, triad, obviously, and uh, that's where he spends his uh, days uh, since uh, getting out of prison. Because we find out he's uh, just been released from prison, so it's like he goes straight to that and sleeping and smoking at the slot machine and that's that's how you hang out I do love that about Korean cinema the fact that the, the lower class criminals are lower class in where they live where they hang out this whole you know as you say video games are kids that are just people sitting eating falling asleep it happens a lot, or it did happen a lot in Korean cinema, and mm. feeling just fits in with that beautifully. And he's a, he's a lovely little irrational, uh, uh, again, mouthy, mouthy gangster, you know. If, uh, you know. One of his irrational ideas, which in his head might be inspirational, is to throw a toaster at people <laughs> he doesn't like. So it's like, okay... You know what? What an ass! You know, <laughs> you know, and not sympathetic at all. If it just throws tantrums left and right, you know, uh, and it seems like uh, he he's lower ranked. We can kind of sense that, but he can boss some people around. But it's quickly apparent that he has to bow to pretty much a lot of people in his environment. You know, he's he, he's way down there. You know, 
Uh, and, and you know, I don't have a much much notes on the, on the production design and the direction because it's so natural and so flowy. But one note I made, which is uh, an example of how natural the movie comes off, I love the apartment uh, with uh, that Choi Min Sik chairs with his body. You know, where just filled with tons of stereo equipment and VCRs, you know, and it's like, it looks like this porn bootlegging operation, or it's just stolen goods and shit stacked, you know, everywhere. And, uh, you know, that kind of design just feels so real. And it looks like an apartment, yeah, but regardless, it's just one of those, it's the natural feel of the movie, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know, does that... Do, do you stop and notice that stuff where you kind of go with a movie like that? You, you notice it for a bit and then just go with the flow kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Uh, and it just fits. I, I love the fact that for the first half hour, everything he does, everywhere he goes, it's all just chaos. It's all just a complete loser. You know, his little apartment's got all that electronic stuff sitting about because... Well, he hasn't really sorted out what they're going to do with it. Or, and the fact that it sums up him being completely worthless and the, the only thing that makes him worthwhile is what Celia Chung's character, Phelan, thinks of him, as we'll come to in a minute, mm-hmm. um, underscores the thing. You know, she, she's about to complete him and he's about to complete her. And, uh, you know, he is worthless and he is pathetic, but Choi Min-sik, obviously, uh, you know, regardless if he likes playing these roles or not, you know, I mean, he has this scary intensity about him, you know, the way he snaps out of nowhere is, uh, I always love that, you know, uh, normally here, here when the character's drunk, those uh, traits come out, you know, and uh, and it's kind of fun at the same time, you know, the director has fun setting up his uh, pathetic nature because obviously, obviously, Either they don't have a toilet in the apartment or he just can't be bothered to go to the toilet in the toilet because he pees in the fucking sink and then just, uh, you know, flushes away the pee and that's that, you know. So it's like, okay, this is grimy, I suppose. <laughs> no. Is this our character for two hours? Right. Be conf- Mr. Director, you know, you got to be a confident director to take us places beyond this, you know, because this guy's filthy. Uh, but I love that. Uh, uh, but, but the gangster world is scary, you know, obviously. Um, his boss, uh, the character of Young Sik, uh, I couldn't determine what the actor is called who plays his uh, boss. Uh, Paul, do you know that off, uh, offhand? His name is Song Byung-ho. And he is a scary and, motherfucker in this one, you know. He's been, he's been in a, you know, his face is known, if you like, in Korean cinema, and he always plays pretty hard-ass people um but he's it's one of those names that just sort of sort of goes you think i remember him Him. he's sort of character actor but he's almost nameless especially compared to somebody like joy mincek who as soon as you see him think oh joy mincek um so he's a great actor and he is he does the hard-ass thing really well but he's a a switch you know from He's very deceptive, you know. I, I love that little, you know, uh, he has a button in him where it's like, goes from, you know, he's sort of kind, you know, he welcomes uh, in someone. He uh, seems to, like, be a pathetic character too, but then he 
just uh, a cloud comes over him at some point, you know, and you realize he's, he can probably cut your head off if he feels like it. Uh, and I, I really like that. Really effective uh, little performance, uh, supporting performance. So. Uh, and scary, too. So, I mean, he could play a serial killer and be really effective. And I'm sure if given a chance, could play a really light and romantic role if given uh, if uh, given a chance, rather. So. I'm sure. I, I mean, in terms of this film, he, he makes the gangster side of it completely. You know, and when it underlines Choyman Six's inability as an actual gangster, his his loser nature, which is what the film's about, I guess. Yeah, it's it's uh, he's frustrated with him because he's uh, uh, obviously Kang Jie, Choyman Six character is uh, all talk. You know, uh, he's not bound to progress, and he even wants out of the bouncer gig that he's offered by his boss, and that frustrates his boss. You know, uh, so. Uh, uh, it, it, it's so transparent that psychology in the Joyman Six character that he's, um, he gets lowly and his shell is cracked pretty damn quickly. Um, you know, so it's all talk, yeah, but he can't maintain that for long. Anybody, anybody can make a dent in him pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. Uh, but, but you know, that, that's for like 20, 30 minutes. It's like uh, the director has just hinted a little bit that, oh, Cecilia Chung is in this movie. Right. And then there's 30 minutes of this, so uh, I just love that um, it's uh, the U-turn that the movie takes into Phylon's stories. Um, it, the, the reminder, uh, Paul, is something I enjoy, because, uh, oh yeah, here's totally. And I, I think it comes at just the right moment, you know, any longer and would have just, would have been like, well, what was that at the start then? But that that very first scene when you see her in the airport, it sort of it hangs with you. It's 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 well enough done that it holds through that what twenty minutes, I guess twenty five minutes mm-hmm. until her backstory is sort of told. Um, it it's just it's really confident. I don't know many directors that would have been able to get away with switching that much and holding the whole story together but he manages it perfectly yeah exactly and, and i also like that you can't you don't know until you're a bit into it that the phylon story is something that uh Kangjie did before you know it's not something that he will do the, the, the arranged marriage is not something that happens due to this whole you know uh possibly taking the blame for a murder or anything so yeah, I love that it's a it has a history you know and uh, that history is going to be uncovered through a backstory and then you, we, we catch up to reality from that uh, so um, it, it's an effective little structure in that regard and uh, it, I, I, I wonder do, do you think um, because we spend so much time with Cecilia Jung from this point you know with some dips you know in uh, in between with uh, Choi Min Six uh, Kang Jie uncovering all of this do you think this would have been a tough sell to local audiences to spend so much time with a leading lady that's not korean nor super duper super duper famous all around the world you know she's no shang ziyi or anything you know what i mean in terms of like that big break breakthrough so so do you think it was a tough sell to spend so much time with someone I d- korean i don't think it would have been a particularly easy sell whether it would have been actually tough i don't know um i mean <laughs> The film, as such, fills in so perfectly with Korean cinema at the time, with the whole flashback, flashback, flashback. 
Choi Min-sik was already making a name for himself, so he'll have pulled people in. I think they got away with it because of that. And it, once she actually appears, the fact that her Korean isn't good, the fact that as a non-Korean actress, the fact that her Korean isn't good actually works for the, the plot. I think they'd have got away with it. I don't know for sure, but I'll guarantee, almost guarantee you they sold it as a Choi Min-sik film mm-hmm. um, with another actress who happens to be Cecilia Chung. And and, def- and and she didn't like do. I mean, King of Comedy was her first big break, and then this. I I think you know the director essentially saw her in King of Comedy and wanted to, you know, take a chance on her. She did this melodrama called Fly Me, uh, Fly Me to uh, Polaris, which I disliked because that was an hysteric uh, hysterical movie. Uh, I mean, she, she's fine, but that was like just like shouting and crying. Uh, you know, uh, and music swelling, you know. Uh, but she's really still fresh-faced at this point in her career, and that serves her very well here as this character, so, yeah. uh, you know, on thin ice, if you will, out of her comfort zone and obviously just um, everything going wrong for her. And and uh, she uh, earns those, uh, uh, you know, emotional breakdowns. Uh, you know, she has to carry that, and there's two instances where it just... She, she has to break down, you know. I think that's really effective. Totally, it really is. And I love the fact that, yeah, we see her breaking down, but you never actually see her breaking down about her illness. And I'm not really giving a spoiler away. She's ill. Um, mm-hmm. But it's never because of her illness. It's always day-to-day things. And I think that, again, allows melodrama without being overly weepy and melodramatic she's she's crying about her day-to-day life which mm-hmm. you would do because her her day-to-day life's going down the toilet um and it's same for him from the very beginning his whole life is plummeting and it's only when they get together that they're going to pull each other back up in whatever way they can without giving any spoilers away yeah exactly and the whole dying thing is obviously mid-movie uh, just before we cut to Cecilia's backstory, uh, the police arrives as, at uh, Jan, uh, Kang Jae's house and uh, says that his wife has died. So he goes back to uh, collect her remains and identify her. So that that happens like not even mid movie, you know, thirty minutes in or what have you. So, uh, and uh, it, it's amusing to see him mix, uh, you know, clearly being intrigued by her. You know, she does crack his surface. Uh, but also still in that mode, you know, that this is all a hassle. I think one of the subtitles say at one point, essentially, you know, what a hassle, what a bitch. You know, yeah. I got to go here and do that. And, and I think the best Choi Min-sik move, uh, moment in the movie is uh, on the train where he's uh, kind of transfixed by her tiny little, fo- tiny little photograph. And he looks uh, at it like uh, with an angled face and he angles his face back and stays quiet for a beat and then she says he says she's pretty and that's that's that is the moment isn't it exactly when you realize that she's cracked his surface a little bit uh, and yeah. uh, I, I love how Choi plays that uh, moment it's not like whoa she's pretty it's like he's, uh, he allows himself to like you know throw away his like oh, what a bitch or what a hassle and just um uh, she gets to him through uh, in that moment. I love that stuff. Totally, totally. I guess you know her. Her beauty dawns on him through who he is, and it takes a while. And you see it taking a while, and it's just it's it's the perfect moment. And it, 
it, it, his performance at that point is astounding. Yeah, yeah, because he's not a dude at that point. You know, he, he's not trying to be mature and like, and uh, you know, have this uh, jargon with his friend. Like, look at this babe, man. You know, he's uh, he's uh, he's having his little moment there, and um, it's really good. And uh, it's it's going back to Cecilia. I mean, she uh, relies a lot on sending emotions through silence because she can't talk. You know, she can't speak the language. Every now and again, she meets a Korean that knows Mandarin, uh, but. Uh, uh, for large stretches, she, as an actress, has to rely on, you know, her broken Korean, if you will, but uh, largely, largely just looks. And I mean, if audiences don't walk away, like, remembering her face and her warmth and her love, I mean, then then I don't know what to do with you, because I think she just uh, carries that uh, working in tandem with the director, obviously. Uh, just splendidly. I mean, you you gotta get this right. You gotta get this part right. And man, do they uh, do they ever? You know, I think that that says a lot for her being chosen as that lead role because her her face is so emotional. Whether whether you're a fan of her acting or not, when she's not speaking, she can she can emote like nobody in the business. I mean, she's amazing in that film, and it's all down to facial emotions really Lost in Time has similar beats where because that as a widow and a working mother she has to focus on that work 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 you know feed her kid and at some point in the movie it all comes crashing down on her and she just has to scream out her frustration and sadness about uh, about uh, being a single mother I mean she, she's cared for by uh, the fr- a friend of her fiance in that movie played by um, uh, Lao Ching Wan yeah, but it's uh, I was reminded of that those two moments essentially in Phylon where she has a quiet you know a little cry and little scream if you will I was reminded of what she did in Lost in Time as um, in an effective way as well uh, and you you gotta get envious of a director who builds a movie so in such an assured way you know through you know pitch perfect editing between the past backstory and uh, the current story that goes on you know uh, there's never an unclear moment in this I mean uh, and and I know that you know sounds like I'm making it out to be a tall order but you know what to make a really good movie you have to tell it in a clear way and especially if you do intense editing back and forth at some point uh, song is uh, uh, switching between the characters uh, you know one minute uh, one minute Cecilia one minute Joy and and some at some points it's uh, twenty minutes, Cecilia obviously, and uh, it's uh, it's never unclear at any point, and uh, I really I get envious of that skill. I want to be as good of a filmmaker if I were to be a filmmaker. If I decide yeah. to, I want to be this good. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, if you take a number of Korean directors, you know they love flashbacks, and a number of movies that I really love, it takes you a while to get in the in the swing of. Of where we are, where we're going back to, whatever else. That's never the case with Violet. It's just there. As soon as you know the first the first time you know the score, you're there and it's as clear as day the whole way. And the way it's done is just it's perfection. Yeah, it really is. And uh, and the uh, the key here is also and this is kind of the tail end of my notes because again I don't want to spoil what happens at the end. Uh, we all, we know Cecilia dies obviously way early in the movie that that's no spoiler but the, the the key here is that emotions are simmering 
you know, they boil logically. Uh, the uh, the warmth in Kangjie comes out, and one of my favorite moments is when they arrive in, um, which is obviously a, so, some kind of northern part of Korea because it's uh, cold, and uh, they encounter this frozen lake, and all of a sudden Kangjie just gets this in a child moment kind of. Uh, initiative to go out and uh, and skate on the lake on their shoes and obviously and make total asses of themselves and play like children you know he does that with his uh, with his uh, buddy his um, fellow gangster brother if you will uh it's one of those like those are like warm moments that they would never like even uh dip into within their regular gangster world you know uh and, and she has something to do with that she has broken both their surfaces kind of because his body has uh interacted with her while she was alive she set up here she uh, he set up her uh living conditions if you will so he, he's met her obviously a lot more than um than uh, kang jay has done yeah. uh, so it's uh, one of those like um and if you want to be if you want to talk a little bit technical it's one of those moments that the camera is way off the moment. It's, there's no close-up. Uh, I think it's a one-shot of them playing on an actual frozen lake that might not might not have very thick ice either, in reality. <laughs> so who knows if that, that they would have broke them broken the surface and they might have kept that in the movie. You know, uh, very improvised moment it seemed like. But my final note is that there's several readings of letters from Phylan, obviously as part of the plot, and he reads a letter by letter, and she always calls him kind, and uh, that gets to him. But the final letter, if you will, uh, is one of those earned emotional moments, a raw emotional moment for Choi Min-sik. And if you don't get affected, I'm not saying you, I'm saying you, general public human, human race, if you don't get affected by the raw emotions in this breakdown of Choi Min-sik reading this letter, then you're a fucking robot. Oh, beautifully said. <laughs> and be- beautifully said. I have watched Phylon numerous times, obviously. The last time I watched it, and I'm not upset admitting it, was with my 84-year-old mother, because I thought she'd like it. And at the end of it, having watched it 10, 15 times before, I was still in tears. And how embarrassing that was, you have no idea. But <laughs> I, I challenge anyone who, as you say, has a human heart to watch Phylon and not be turned into a blubbering wreck by the end. It is really that moment after the seaside, especially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I looked at the moment really carefully, and it, it's like when he reaches for his cigarette, he looks like he's trembling, and he lights his cigarette, and then it just... It's raw, man. It's not like, okay, cry now, Choi. It's this uh, almost like trembling raw emotion in a human being, which is way more real than uh, than uh, most uh, types of those scenes that you uh, that you see in movies, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there you go. It really ended my notes. I firmly recommend it. I mean, it's a classic from that those few years of Korean cinema that where it seems like they were on such a roll, you know, from Shiri and onwards for four or five years, it seemed like Korean cinema can't go wrong. Obviously, there were different qualities in movies and what have you, and Korean cinema is by no means bad. I'm not saying that, but from two, it's within that, like, when a lot of people internationally started to discover Korean cinema, including me, and this was one of the main favorites of mine, and still is from that time. Um, any other notes uh, for the uh, floor is yours if you want to share... Anything. The only the only thing I really want to say 
you take your average love story, it's about soulmates. And that's what filing is. They're shown to be soulmates. They complete each other. Their, their lives are falling apart, and it's only through the interactions that they do have, posthumously, I guess, um, that they become whole people. Her, in terms of having a husband, having someone that she will die being, she thinks, loved by him because she's the only person who considers him to be anything other than a complete loser. They complete each other. That's what love stories are about, and that's that's violent in a, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm, indeed. So let's go out on that note. And as for availability, it's been released on both uh, over the years on both uh, Korean and US DVD, but those editions are not in print anymore. But for US audiences, however, Phylon is available to stream on Netflix, uh, probably due to that whole CT Entertainment type of deal. Uh, and if Phylon is not connected to CT Entertainment, regardless, Phylon is on uh, Netflix and obviously not one of those uh, movies that would appear dubbed only. I mean, it's, it's a drama, it's obviously subtitled and, uh, and all of that. So, uh, but the used copies are quite expensive of uh, both US DVD and the Korean DVDs. Uh, so, uh, and I wonder if they did a limited edition for Phylon, one of those, uh, uh, you know, splendid limited editions that they did for a number of years. These quirky editions, almost like what could you? I can help. I can help you with that. Right. Um, what what the did they do? The, as a matter of fact, <laughs> the first time I saw. Island was a limited edition Korean DVD that was owned by a friend of mine um, and I've tried to buy it from him ever since and he won't sell it um, the limited edition nice packaging whatever else the big thing was that the opening scene and the very closing scene faded to black and white so the the, the image of her on the television again no spoilers but the image of her on the television that freezes at the end went to black and white and for years until I saw it on a normal DVD I assumed that was the director saying you know black and white photo Korean it's obviously a, a, her funeral photo if you like mm-hmm. um, and it turned out not to be the case because if you get the normal Korean DVD it's just colour in the end Really, I have the one disc. I have the one disc edition. Yeah, it's it's uh, black and white on the one disc edition from Korea that I have, actually. Uh, I think anyway. But uh, uh, so they didn't do a special packaging kind of deal where it's uh, I don't know uh, uh, wrapped in a letter that she wrote to him. You know, because they did this like quirky editions. You know, my sassy girl had an egg edition at one point. You know, and. Uh, uh, but maybe they kept it uh, simple for Phylon. We don't have the next two titles for announced for our next What's Korean Cinema, but uh, uh, but on the theme of uh, the last few picks of the episode we've done being personal favorites out of the few Korean cinema, uh, Korean movies that I've watched. Uh, uh, therefore, my more modern suggestion, if you will, but goddamn, this, this movie is old in people's eyes by now. Uh, my pick would be Park Chan-wook's uh, JSA. Joint security area, uh, because it's my it's, it's my favorite of his, and they're uh, really a favorite movie in general of mine. And uh, but uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, probably uh, double bill it with uh, an older classic uh, that's uh, probably available on the Kofa YouTube channel. So um, 
connected or not to the theme of uh, North versus South in GSA. You know, I, I just like the idea of uh, giving uh, two classics, uh, regardless, you know, classic in my eye in terms of GSA, giving them a voice, um, a, a chance to be heard of again if they haven't been heard of for a number of years. And uh, but, but even if a podcast talked about it yesterday and we want to talk about it today, then that's valid to do as well. It's as simple as that. Do, do you remember, uh, if I can uh, uh, put you on the spot right here, do you, um, did you like GSA at the time? Or is that I love GSA. Uh, I love GSA. One of my, one of my favorite war films, if you can call it a war film. The only, the only one I would say I enjoy more Welcome to Dung McCall, but you know, it's already been done in the podcast, so mm-hmm. um, JSA is a huge movie, so influential, and I adore it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so into discussing that. One of the best ending shots in any movie, that ending shot of the photograph. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a smashing cinema right there. So. Really is. It's one of those throwaway moments in the movie, you know, you know a photograph, click, and then you realise... Uh, at the end, uh, it, means, it means everything. Exactly, uh, really good, good stuff. And uh, Park Chan Wook, um, it's it's not been topped in my opinion, but I haven't seen uh, a whole lot. But you know, I really got tuned out of uh, you know, Old Boy was fine, it was okay. But then I watched Lady Vengeance for me, and just, just like, what's this? I don't get it. You know, he really like he didn't reach me anymore. And then I haven't seen anything since uh, since then. So, but, but that's just my personal opinion. I, I think a lot of people would agree with you. He's been very hit and miss since since his days. I mean, a lot of people hate Thirst. I really enjoyed it. You take something like Stoker, I, I abhorred it. Um, you take his short film, Night Fishing, one of the best short films I've ever seen. He's really, I love one thing, I hate the next. I love one thing, I hate the next. What was um, his uh, What was his uh, iPhone movie? Did he ever make that completely? That that was that was night fishing, right? Right. right. Um, and in terms of, if you take short films, I've never seen a better short film. Um, it's astonishing. Uh, just the lead actress who does a shamanic ritual. Um, she's actually a singer and. She's mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing, and she makes the whole thing. Um, But forget it's on an iPhone, forget it's a short film. Just think of it as Park Chan Wood coming back the way he should be. Um, Get it, see it if you can. I know it's online available um, legitimately without subtitles. Mm-hmm. Where you can get it with subtitles, I have no idea, uh, other than DVD from Korea. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, it seems like he is by now a slightly polarizing figure. You know, he's got a love camp and maybe a hate camp to some degree. You know, because I've heard so varying uh, degrees of opinion on his uh, English language movie as Stoker. Uh, some movies just adore it, and so, uh, some viewers just adore it, and some go like, "Nah, that was that, I don't know. That, that was worse than expected." Uh, you know, I don't know, but. Uh, I went to see it at, on its release at the cinema and I was sitting next to one of the Korean girls that works at the Korean Cultural Center and I've never seen anybody despise a film so vocally in wow. my life. She she hated it. And, you know, you think about it afterward, 
words, and all that came to mind was, if you look at it as an English language film, it's okay. It's yeah, it's a thriller. It's okay. If you look at it as a Korean film or a Park Chan Wook film, it's it's just awful. Wow. It did nothing for me. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'd advise you not to follow. Yeah, I, I I can't say that I'm very intrigued at all, just because it, there, there's nothing there that says like, huh, interesting, you know, not even a minor, minute zero point zero zero percent kind of thing. Uh, so it's like, mm, nah, you know, I I I, I got to watch some porn now, <laughs> you know. Yeah, fair <laughs> I got to review some porn now, so you know, Park Chan Wook. I don't, know, I don't care for you now. <laughs> Uh, but okay, let's talk Passion Wook uh, next episode down. Let, 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 let's just set that in stone. We'll do JSA and then find some other cool uh, cool classic on the Kofa YouTube channel. So that, I think that's that, really worth doing, Kev. Absolutely. Uh, so that's all good. And the contact information again, this has been What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network, podcastonfire.com for this show, all the other shows and the bonus episodes. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF Network. Join the discussion group, follow the link on that page. Type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. Uh, that, will, that will work too. Tweet us, twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. My writing of uh, Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies and ninja exploitation. Sogoodreviews.com, sleazykvideo.com. And I tweet at twitter.com forward slash Sogoodreviews. What's Korean cinema is on iTunes. Please leave a rating or a small written comment if you like the show, and uh, that would very much be appreciated. And stream us on Stitcher Radio, application available for your iPhone, iPad, or Android, and available online as well. And uh, your plugs, uh, Paul, take it away. Um, as you know, I'm Paul. I run Hangul Celluloid. I'm on the web at hangulcelluloid.com, on Facebook at Facebook, facebook.com slash hangulcelluloid, on Twitter at twitter.com slash hangulcelluloid, and if you do want to check out that Choi Min Sik group interview, go to hangelcelluloid.com, click the interview section, and you'll find it in there, and I hope you enjoy it. And we'll certainly link directly to it as well, Paul, as part of the relevant links uh, for the show post on cool. podcastonfire.com. So definitely check it out. And I would have opened, as I think I said to you at the time, with uh, because uh, I'm me, I'm stupid, I'm, uh, I'm immature, I would have opened with a question like, why are you so awesome? To, to try uh, you see, there's a difficult, a difficult thing though, group interviews. So we're not going gonna to translate that, you know. <laughs> you're, more you're, you're only going to get two or, one or two questions, really. And then everybody else has their one or two questions. Right. And they always make me go first. They always say, go on, Paul, you start it. And you can't start with a, so, how did you get into cinema? Because <laughs> your, your question's gone. In a normal interview, you can't. So I end up just going hell for leather and you know a couple of interviews the little interpreter's gone good lord for a first question can you not give the guy a break um i just i can't let it go at those those couple of questions that you get before anybody else gets their shot in i, I you've got to cover what you want covered more than anything else that's my one, one day one it. day i will be able to ask someone why are you so awesome <laughs> it's my mission and statement in life. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. That sounds awesome. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a note of that. And at some point, in front of either a director, an actor, or an actress, I am gonna say, Ken wants to know. 
why you're so awesome. Oh, that guy reviews porn. Exactly, that guy. Right. I got a reputation. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, we are done, and thank you very much again, Paul, for being on. And we'll uh, speak to you thank next. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, that's no problem at all. And hopefully, we'll speak as a trio next time with uh, Rufus Duran once he's back from uh, life and his creative projects uh, in life and uh, road trip that's coming up uh, and all of that. So uh, next time, JSA and something else. So uh, this has been May Kennedy, and uh, with me again was uh, Paul. Quinn from Hangul Celluloid. So see everybody next time. See you later.